Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions, and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. Hi, this is Professor Chapman. Recently we've been doing some Facebook Live sessions where I've been answering questions from the listeners and participants. What you're about to hear now is some audio of those segments and I hope they'll be useful for you. I'm Professor Michael Chapman. I'm a fertility specialist in Sydney. I work with IVF Australia. In fact, I was one of the founding doctors of IVF Australia some 20 odd years ago. I've actually been working in the field of IVF since 1986. I did my first egg collection in the United Kingdom. I've wandered around the world since then. I've set up clinics in uh, Greece and in Italy and in Saudi Arabia, as well as London, before I came back to Australia and set up my clinic at St. George Hospital in Cogra in Sydney. And then subsequently, we all came together to form IVF Australia and now the Virtus Network across the world. I've seen IVF almost from its birth to where it is today. And it's certainly a long, long journey, been a remarkable journey in terms of the advancements of science that have occurred over those 30 to 40 years. When I first was talking to patients in the mid-1980s, we were talking about success rates of 10 to 15% per cycle for women in their 30s. Today, we're talking about 40%, so three times more likely to get pregnant than we were when I first started. Uh, Unfortunately, that's not because of me. Well, maybe, (laughs) no, I really had little hand in in what's happened scientifically. What we've seen uh, over that period of time is the laboratory improve improved in terms of the culture medium that we used, improved in moving the embryology to more and more mimic what happens inside the fallopian tube from the day of fertilization to day five of embryo development. And the closer we've got to that, the higher our pregnancy rates have been. I mean, in the other big advance uh, of the last decade, I suppose, has been our ability to understand more about why we fail in the majority of cases. And it's because nature creates embryos that are genetically abnormal in a significant proportion of patients. So once the technique of biopsying embryos and being able to look at their chromosome makeup before we put the embryo back has given us a pile of information and allowed us to explain why at best even today uh, a 40% pregnancy rate is, is the best we can do unless we test the embryos to get rid of those that are genetically abnormal. There are still some big holes in our knowledge Because even when we put back a genetically normal embryo, we're still only getting 60, 50 to 60% of patients pregnant in that one transfer. So there's more to it than just the number of chromosomes that an embryo has. It may be the position we get, we put the embryo in when we put it in the uterus. It may be that uh, there are environmental factors within the uterus that we still don't understand that can affect the chances of pregnancy. But if they're recurring problems, we would expect not to improve pregnancy rates in the next cycle. But what we do know, and the statistics support it, is that the more transfers you have, 
the higher the likelihood of pregnancy is. So data we published a couple of years ago out of the Australian database showed that when you put back your first embryo and you're 38 years or younger, the chances of an ongoing pregnancy were around about 30%. If you put back a second embryo, either with a frozen transfer or a fresh transfer, the next cycle takes you up to over 50% chance of a pregnancy. And if you put a third embryo in, if you have a third transfer of an embryo at day five, you will get up to something in the order of 70 to 80% chance of a pregnancy. Being persistent works. But it also tells us that whatever it is that stops a pregnancy other than genetic abnormalities isn't necessarily a recurring problem. 30 years in the business, I'm somewhat um, proud of the, you know, the 3,000 babies that I've probably been involved in in creating over that period of time. Um, and obviously I've seen virtually every problem that can occur in relation to fertility. My day began today, in fact, by holding the testicle of a young man who'd had a vasectomy 23 years ago, who'd had his children then and has now found a new partner, and he they want to have children. And uh, the decision was made that we would use his sperm, that we would remove that sperm, put a needle into his testicle with him asleep, and use that sperm to fertilise his new partner's eggs, he, she having gone through an IVF cycle. And given that she her age is now in the order of just over 30, her chances of pregnancy are very high, even though he's had a vasectomy. I mean, there is a debate about vasectomy as to whether reversing it is the right thing to do. When you read about it, those people who do it all the time claim very good success rates. But what they're talking about predominantly is their chance of restoring the plumbing, joining two ends of the vas deferens together, which have been severed as part of the vasectomy process, bringing them together um, like your local plumber and uh, creating, uh, recreating flow of sperm down the vas deferens. But unfortunately, that's not the whole story. As a man has had a vasectomy, there are things that go on in the testicle and in the human body that produce sperm antibodies. These are substances that bind to the sperm and stop them from swimming so that natural conception after reversal of vasectomy is not always going to be as good as you might think. Even though the plumbing has been restored and sperm come with the ejaculation, a large majority of those sperm will be immotile, not able to swim up into the uterus and out through the fallopian tube. IVF and then this testicular sperm retrieval uh, has a better success rate in a shorter period of time if the woman is young. Vasectomy reversal also adds the problem that once once you've had that extra child or two, what's, what are you going to do about contraception? You're going to have another vasectomy, maybe or maybe not. Interesting start to the day today. We wait tomorrow to find out whether the sperm we collected today has produced uh, embryos tomorrow. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.